Hi, everybody. I'd like to welcome you back to the CCW Safe podcast. I am Rob High, back here at home base in Oklahoma City, uh, joined by my co-host, Philip Naiman. Bill, you look Hello, like everybody. Happy New Year. Buried in the People's Republic again, is that right? Yes, I'm still behind enemy lines in the People's Republic of Occupied <laughs> California, but I'm, I'm fighting the good fight here. And we are uh, blessed today to have uh, Chet Palumbo join us. And Chet, I'm going to let you give your, your own little introduction here. Chet's an attorney. He's a, he's a, he's a self-defense practitioner, so we want to kind of squeeze him for little bit of knowledge today see see what we can't make it today so good to have you brother thank you so much and it's a pleasure to be here uh, my name is chad i've been a, an attorney since 2010 practice pretty much exclusively criminal law uh, i've done both defense and prosecution i was a prosecutor for about two years in tampa i uh, have right about 45 jury trials that i've done as first chair so i've really been blessed to be able to actually get into into court and do a lot of jury trials. Uh, and around 2011 is when I started doing uh, combatives and martial arts. So I've been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu since then. I'm, I'm currently a purple belt. I've started doing a lot of shooting classes around 2012, 2013. Got my NRA uh, basic pistol instructor certification in 2013. Kind of went on training at different shooting schools. Got into combatives, uh, I guess you could say in 2017. So started doing a lot of weapons-based grappling, force-on-force, on, force, uh, on that sort of thing. And I'm currently a combatives green belt under Matt Larson. So, uh, and yeah, so just uh, super happy to be here today. Thank you. You said combatives green belt. What, what is the, I mean, obviously, jiu-jitsu has its own regulations. What is the combatives uh, system? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with who Matt Larson is. Um, he was the, considered the, fa uh, the father of modern combatives, uh, came up with the 75th Ranger Regiment, instituted the Army Combatives Program. And this is actually a very recent thing uh, where him, along with uh, uh, John Valentine, Tim Kennedy, they sort of decided to create a central standardization for combatives. And he created the Combatives University. And this actually only launched... Uh, you know, maybe six or seven months ago or so. And what it is, is it's not its own martial art. It's not its own system of techniques. It is a, it's an accreditation system, if you will, where for different belt levels, you have to demonstrate proficiency and things like uh, fighting, uh, pistol marksmanship, rifle marksmanship, strength and conditioning and trauma first aid. And so each belt rank there's a progressive higher level of proficiency that you're expected to, to meet. So for example, the, the first belt's gray and then green belt is, is where I'm at. That's the second from the bottom. Uh, the requirements for that is I had to demonstrate three competition wins as a jujitsu purple belt. Um, some, I guess at about 150 or 200 hours of tactical pistol training that I documented uh, for the pistol proficiency and then just a basic proficiency in a rifle, and then a uh, the eight hour uh, Red Cross first aid certification, along with some other uh, strength standards. And then those standards just go up progressively with each belt. Very interesting. 
you know, the, um, the combatives thing is kind of, I'm actually next week going to be in the Vegas area with Tim Kennedy's group, nice. the sheepdog response. And then because I don't feel like I'll have enough bruises after that, uh, I'm going with Raul Martinez at the end of this month uh, in Escondido. So I'm going to get it all done this month. And then if I can walk in February, I'll report how it worked. Nice. Well, yeah, Tim Kennedy's a black belt uh, in the in the system under under Matt Larson, so he could he'd be able to tell you a lot better than I could about all the details of. It. Cool. How does their progression? He said said graded green and then blue, purple, brown, black. So for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, goes white, blue, purple, brown, black. Uh, the combatives belt system goes gray, green, brown, black. Okay. Very cool. Um, is that a is that an in person testing? Is that something you you're able to do for them online and then show your other accomplishments, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's uh, he's got it all set up online. Where, uh, for example, for the the fighting or hand to hand aspect of it, I just had to upload videos of uh, of my competition. So luckily, I had a few competitions that had been videoed. As far as the strength and conditioning, same thing. You can upload a video of doing the deadlift, squat, and bench press. Uh, documentation for the the Red Cross certification is fine, uh, but yeah, he's got it all set up online, and then he also has it set up where the current black belts are able to independently direct promote someone up in up through the belt of green belt. So if you're training under someone that's currently a black belt, uh, they they can promote you up to gray or green. What is the uh, what is the rifle competency level? The rifle for that is very, uh, it's very rudimentary. Um, I'm not really a rifle guy. I, I went and did a, um, a private lesson with a, with an instructor, uh, just to meet that, that certification. But, uh, I would imagine with brown and black belt, it's going to get a lot higher. Um, uh, but for gray and green belt, they re he really just wants to see that you have a basic proficiency and holding the rifle, manipulating the rifle, safely shooting it, um, and just kind of doing reloads, but uh, definitely the emphasis for this at the lower ranks, which is where I'm at, the emphasis is definitely on pistol proficiency. Good. <clears throat> How big is this? So right now, I want to say there's there's between 40 and 50 recognized black belts in the country and somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 20 brown belts. Um, like I said, it's, it's very new. It's in its infancy. Uh, but the people that are currently black belts, you know, like Matt Larson, Tim Kennedy, Craig Douglas, Ben Aubin, Cliff Byerly, Cecil Birch, like, those, and, you know, th those are just to name a few um, guys that you've, you've probably heard of before. But and then they're sort of just promulgating it. And, and the idea is to grow it and and set standards so that people kind of know, you know, who the legitimate guys are. That's very good. I'm very interested in that. Yeah. <clears throat> now. I, I actually came to know Chet just through some of the posts I was seeing uh, in the face group, Facebook group for this. And then he reached out to me and had some questions regarding are you safe and some of the. I've got a slow, slow internet connection there, buddy. Yeah. I think uh, he was just trying to say how he met you. So maybe you want to pick it up from there. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so. I was doing a video on uh, CCW insurance because it's something that friends and family ask me a lot. You know, should I get it? It's, so... it's a legal protection plan. 
Okay, legal protection plan. That's right. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, and I remember Rob telling me uh, why it's not an insurance company. But um, yeah, the 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 legal protection plans. Should I get them? Should I not get them? And I just kind of made a video, kind of posting some questions that a that a consumer should have, and then uh, you know he commented, and I I asked him some direct questions, and I was very very impressed with the company and just really impressed with um kind of the way that it's not an insurance policy it's not you know in some of the the legal things that are implicated with it being an insurance policy and so after i had kind of a in-depth conversation with him you know i started telling my friends and family look if you're going to do this i honestly wouldn't waste my money um, unless you're going to do CCW safe. I, I, I think that's the only company that's really adding a lot of value and that offers the kind of protection that I would want as someone that's been involved in a lot of criminal litigation. And I kind of see the way these things can play out sometimes. Uh, it seems like, you know, y'all's company offers very robust protection to, you know, people that would genuinely deserve it. So uh, I was just genuinely impressed with the product and the service you guys are providing. You know, I think it's important because, you know, we, we probably don't talk about this enough in this particular podcast, you know, some of the other guys uh, in the company do, but the difference between the different plans that are out there, we'll just call them all plans. Some are insurance, some are not, but as far as a plan is concerned, the fact that you have, you know, the unlimited resources that you have the experienced team behind you, not me. The, you know, Rob and those guys, the experienced guys, I'm just a knucklehead on the podcast, but the, um, their experience and the backing that they have and the fact that, you know, they're there with you till the end. Uh, some of the other plans, you know, if you have a, say you cop a plea because you just can't deal with it anymore. All of a sudden they say, that's great. Reimburse us for everything we've put in. And, you know, where are you? So there's some interesting, and I think that has to do with the insurance aspect where, if you admit to doing something, insurance can't cover you. If you admitted to a crime, some, something of that nature. I'm not the expert on that, but I think yeah. that's where that difference comes in. Um, and that's why CCW Safe is not an insurance company and they can cover you um, where you need it. Yeah. That was honestly the selling point for me, what you just said. Um, then that was the question that I had was, look, this is great on the surface. I have, I have this plan, I have this coverage, and all the terms are if I'm right, if I'm rightly in self-defense, if I am legitimately, you know, defending myself and my family or whatever. Well, the lawyer in me knows that it rarely works out to where it's that clear cut and that it's that clean of a uh, of a break. And, and that when you if the state has decided to take you to trial and they've invested that much resources and they've got that much skin in the game and halfway through the trial, it's going downhill. And they're, they don't want to take a loss. So they're going to pull you into the side of the hallway to break. And they're going to say, will your client plead to, to miss aggravated battery? Will your, client, or will your client plead to something for probation? And when you got someone looking at 15 to 20 years in prison for a voluntary manslaughter conviction, they're going to jump at that. They're absolutely going to jump at that. And then so I'm thinking, okay, well, now you have a decision to make. Do I avoid decades in prison? but I'm stuck with a $200,000 legal bill. And that to me, when, when Rob explained how that, how you guys are able to circumnavigate those situations, that for me was the turning point where I was like, okay, this is definitely the policy that I would go with. Well, it's, it's important that 
that people understand what that is. Um, you know, if I took a plea agreement with somebody that provides a different service, um, that really eliminates going further. I mean, as far as appeals and expungements and those kind of things, you have to have the, the ability to, to save yourself, you know, just like you were saying, I'd, I'd way rather plead guilty to a lesser charge that includes no prison time. Um, but I also understand the things that come along with that as well. And those are things that I would have to think through and, you know, is it, it's, is it's it a legal fight for another day? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I want to touch on right now, because again, you guys, you have your law enforcement, you have your criminal, um, uh, courts background, but most of the people, especially the guys who are CCW carriers, they're not criminals. So it's like, well, why would I ever plead to something I didn't do? You know, we don't have that mindset. We're, we try to be outstanding citizens in every manner. And that's what makes this, this company and, and the CCW carriers across the nation. Great. But why would you plead to something? Well, as you said, you might have an aggressive DA like we have here in the People's Republic of Occupied California. The only thing they prosecute are righteous gun owners. Everything else can is, gets a freebie. But you may have somebody who wants to make a name for themselves and stand on, on your case. And you may they may throw 50 years, 100, whatever, you know, life imprisonment because you had to defend yourself because the people they let out of jail are causing more problems and you had to get involved. Um, you know, and then if you're looking at that, it's like, why would I gamble a 20 year sentence if I can get a three year probation, no jail, you know, and then there's a legal fight later to get it expunged. So you can still have your second amendment rights and stuff and voting rights. So that's a process that occurs in the system. But if you are somebody who stays outside of the system, like CCW holders, you're not familiar with that. You don't know why, if you copped a plea, you must've been guilty. You know, you take a look uh, in our, in our nation's history. Um, geez, three years ago, um, the guy Trump had to exonerate, right? He was getting such crushed by legal bills. He finally just took the, took a plea on a lesser charge just to get out from underneath it. I'm forgetting his name right now. You probably help me out with that, but it happens. People will plead to things just to stop the bleeding. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the attitude of a client, you know, you see this time and time again, your first interaction with a client, um, it's all, I'm not pleading to anything. I'm not pleading to anything. I didn't do anything. They can kiss my butt, blah, blah, blah. That attitude slowly fades with time. The longer the case goes, when the case goes to trial, where's you down? And, yeah. And you're sitting there and they're about to bring the jury out. Can't tell you how many people have leaned over to me and be like, well, what, well, what are they offering me now? You know, like all of a sudden when it gets real, when that jury's about to walk in and they realize this isn't theoretical anymore, like a prison sentence is literally potentially hours away now, all of a sudden the principle goes out the window. And you're you're like, just like you said, Phil, there you're all, you're thinking about how do I save my own hide? Well, we we even had a, a deal where once once a jury was seated, it's it's done. We're yeah. we're we're having we're having court. Um, and it's really because we've gotten that far into the expenditure. You know, the DA's office has got so much money invested in this thing at this point. 
that it it's really frowned on if you're going to try to do it yeah. right then. You're right. Um, it it's it's one of those. Some of the other some of our competitors have a have a thing where, <clears throat> um, because it is based on an insurance model. You have to you you've lost or you've pled guilty, and you have to pay that recoupment before they will ever pick up and go towards any any kind of appellate work. Mm -hmm. um, where our structure is built to go all the way through all criminal costs. And that doesn't, it doesn't matter if we're, if we're talking about a transcript or a, a um, you know, a jury consultant, all of the extra little things that people that are uninvolved have no earthly idea about. They have no earthly idea. Yeah. An attorney is really expensive. So is an expert. So is an investigator. If you're so are seven right experts. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so if you're going to build the right team, man, that is costly. Um, and, you know, one of the things we always press our, our members for is, is if you're involved in an incident, any incident, if it's involving your firearm, we need for you to reach out and, and let us know. Um, there's been so many cases that have just gone away because we've had that early early report and and we're able to get out in front of it before you make just really an uneducated mistake yeah. you know it's not stupid it's just if you don't know you don't know um and it, you know we've said over and over again i don't have any issue going and staying overnight in the county jail not my first choice for, for, you know, but for, for that opportunity for my attorney to, to come in and be present and, and be with me, because I'm going to cooperate. Yeah. Well, let me ask um, this question. Um, since I can be the client's advocate, I'm not the devil's advocate. I don't care about him. So I mean, the client's advocate here, I have a defense attorney and a criminal attorney, and I have an investigator detective. So if, if somebody was in an incident, you know, Chad, how many times have you seen somebody over talk to the police and you have to go as a defense attorney and just unscramble all the eggs? I can't tell you how many times the conversation has gone to the client. Literally, if you had kept your mouth shut, I could have beat these charges for you. I, I can't count how many times that's happened. And it's not just even self-defense situations. It's any kind of criminal case. Um, so often the amount of actual tangible evidence is fairly uh, faint. You know, the best evidence they have a lot of times are the things the defendant tells the police, what they tell the investigators. And so, I mean, the simple answer to your question is I, I can't even count how many times over the last 12 years I've I've either thought that to myself or I've, I've actually said that to the guy, especially when, when they start getting an attitude with you and talking about how smart they are. I'm like, look, if you were smart, you wouldn't have talked to begin with. So I, I don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah. How you beat the cops at a word game. Yeah. Rob, you know, so you, you show up at a scene, right? And uh, you say, hey, man, what happened? Dude, I'm your friend. Right out of the box. Are you okay? Need some coffee? Dude, what happened? Oh, my gosh. What this guy do? Are you hurt? Do you need medical attention? What can I do for you? Do you need a hug? 
And, and you do, you build that trust really quick and it's human nature. Like, like Chet was saying that I'm involved in something and I, I believe I am steadfast in my belief that I've done nothing wrong. I, this, I'm not going to mess up here. Um, so, you know, Gary and I are a little more subtle about it as far as how we direct our members, you know, it, there's everybody and their dog out there goes, don't say a word or just tell them, tell them I'm not saying anything till my attorney's here. And you can do that. You've really painted an investigator in a corner where you're probably going to spend the night in custody or, two, or three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like going with the very brief statement about, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying this happened here. I was attacked. I had to defend myself, but I need you to know I'm really shaken up right now. Um, I've been through something I never dreamed I would have to go through. And I think it would just be best for everybody involved uh, if I wait until my attorney is present. But I want you to know I'm going to cooperate with you 100%. Easy enough. Walk away. Um, and you may you may get locked up that night. And you may not. Um, our most recent one, I can't wait until it till everything as far as statute of limitations and things go away. Uh, but, you know, same thing. The guy just told me, you know, I'm not going to talk until my attorney's here. And yes, he was locked up that night. But uh, even even the investigator was looking at it with such clarity. I, I was really impressed with the investigator because as he takes him over and, and books him in, he's explaining to him how to make his calls. You know, do this, do this get somebody to get you bond because you don't belong in here. Uh, and that's an investigator. Um, I, I just think, I, I think it's really critical to understand that, yes, there are guys out there that are like that, but there's also guys out there, you know, Gary and I have both worked cases, uh, especially Gary, because he was the chief investigator for the DA's office where you have guys that have really done horrible interviews or interrogations and, and fed people information and got false confessions. And, you know, my, my whole thing, the whole time I was an officer was I never wanted to lock up somebody that, that I didn't believe was guilty. Um, I would rather let somebody guilty get off than have somebody that's innocent incarcerated. I, I don't know that I could live with myself for that. So I worked really, really hard. Um, I had a, had a captain early on in my career that, that told me if, you know, build your case and then get it where you go, yep, I can prove him guilty. And then work it from the other side, from the defense side and see if you can prove him innocent. Because if you did, if you can, he's innocent. You gotta let this guy go. Um, not everybody has the opportunity to do so, do that because case volume gets amazing. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure your prosecutor's case load in Tampa was huge. Yeah. You know, I know Oklahoma County is, 
know, those, those guys are carrying around boxes of files. And sometimes you got attorneys that haven't even looked at something before they walk in on a prelim yeah. and they catch up with a cop and go, okay, give me a, give me a quick rundown. What do we got here? So that's, that's part of the, the downside of, of our judicial system is, is how over, overwhelmed it is. But <clears throat> now Chet, we, and I, I, I yelled at you the other day about hopping on with us. Um, and I had seen, uh, the clip that you had put out. Um, I'd, I'd like to get your two cents and, and kind of introduce our audience a little bit to what, what that was about. And sure. because I thought it was, I thought it was so on point and something, something that needs to be out there. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Happy to, um, the, the clip, uh, which is on my, my YouTube channel, the combative lawyer, um, it is talking about understanding the context when you do combative training. And when I say combative training, you know, it could be shooting, it could be weapons-based grappling, it could, whatever the case may be, whatever, whatever type of training, but I'm going to just call it combatives or combative training. The, the, one of the most common things you'll learn, and I'm just, this is totally just by way of example. I mean, you could think of a million examples, but you learn that very close quarter entangled, vertical or horizontal elbow shield uh you know protecting yourself against an assailant or weapon a one-handed garment clear you access your gun you bring it up to a retention position and, and, and you make you know pelvic girdle shots whatever that's a very common thing that's taught in entry-level combative schools you know wherever you go and a lot of people will teach variations of that but the one thing the point that i wanted to make is that when you drill these things it's not done in a scenario-based context. So you don't have your instructor telling you, hey, this is what's happening. This is what has precipitated this response. They're giving you a skill that you're expected yeah. to go out and learn and master. We all have heard this term training scar. You know, it's like, oh, I do something here on the range and I created this bad training scar. I kind of saw this as a potential legal training scar, if you will, that let's say you're some guy, you know, you're not really an athlete. You don't train MMA, jiu-jitsu, whatever. You, you know, you shoot, you take one of these classes and that's the skill you develop. So in your mind now, it's like they say, when something really bad happens, all you're going to do is what you've trained to do. If you think if somebody puts their hands on you, punches you, pushes you, wherever you feel threatened, you're going to, you know, adrenaline is going to dump or whatever. You're going to go for this vertical elbow shield, draw your gun and start shooting because that's what you train to do. If all you have is a hammer. Yes, sir. Perfect. I mean, that's a perfect example uh, or a perfect use of that, that, uh, that phrase, you know, uh, for, for what I'm trying to get across. Um, but understanding that, you know what, you're learning this, this, you know, default cover, this vertical elbow shield, you know, shooting from retention. You need to understand that, and it should go without saying, but the threshold for deadly force must be present in order for you to do that. Can it be closed fists? Sure. Under certain circumstances, a closed fist attack can meet the threshold of deadly force. It better not just be one initial punch. There better be some other circumstances because otherwise you are just dealing with a 
you know, a simple battery, someone's trying to hit you or slap you or whatever, like, you know, that's, that doesn't rise to the level per se of deadly force. So understand, okay, I'm learning a skill. This, I cannot just do this skill anytime I feel threatened. I need to put that in context. So, you know, if you're doing, if you're looking at that drill, for example, maybe this is a situation where you have two attackers, one guy is, is trying to punch you, your back is up against the wall. You've tried to use empty hand skills. You've tried to escape. He's already hit you once or twice. He's not ceasing. You're, you're in fear that that next punch is going to knock you unconscious and they're going to rob or kill you. Maybe, once again, every case is fact specific. I'm not trying to prejudge any, any scenario, but maybe in that situation, it's justified. Converse or juxtapose that with the drunk frat boy at the golf course and he gets into some sort of verbal altercation and he decides to swing on you. Well, that's not the time to take a default cover and start shooting from retention. You know, no, that's <laughs> when you do a that's when you do a double leg and dump him in the pool. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, so, so it's just really the whole video just kind of boils down to when you're learning something, don't think, okay, this is just what I'm always going to do. Right. You need to understand that there is an appropriate context for whatever you do. You know. I, I mentioned earlier that I'm taking these courses. I haven't taken them yet, but I'm taking them this uh, in January here. Um, my main reason for doing this is gun retention practice. You know, I've, I've done some jujitsu and stuff like that, but it's gun retention. Where, where, and when do you practice that? You know, that's great. Um, gun retention. So. <sighs> there's these, the seminars, right? Like the people you go train with, you know, Craig Douglas, Ben Aubin, all, all these guys, they have these weekend courses and you'll do force on force with that. And you'll get a good weekend of that. The question is sustainment training, right? Like, and that's been one of the biggest challenges in the combatives community is you go around, you do these seminars and then you go back to your jujitsu school or your boxing school or whatever. And then you don't think about it again. I have been lucky enough that uh, my coach, uh, who's a black belt, really got interested in this. And him and I have started getting together once or twice a week for about 45 minutes and just practicing this stuff. Uh, and so, for example, you buy yourself a blue gun uh, that models after whatever, you know, whatever gun you carry. You use your holster. Um, you know, you put on a green gun, you get a partner and you just scenario drill. Um, you say, hey. I want you to pretend that you're you're mugging me and we're going to kind of start in an up, upright and tangled situation. You try to take my gun from me and I'm going to try to keep you from taking my gun from me. And you just start doing live two, three minute sessions or rounds of, you know, rolling, sparring, whatever you want to call it, uh, of doing that. And you just start doing that force on force. And I think that's what you have to do. You know, the first, first time I'd ever been introduced to anything live like that <clears throat> you know we we did our our handgun retention things when i was going through the academy and and just just going learning basic things but the things we learned back then were so really just utterly ridiculous everything you, you've got a lethal assault on you and it was answered with mechanical control every time um, and it wasn't, 
wasn't until I hit the streets because the whole time I kept thinking, there's nobody's going to take my gun away from me. And then all of a sudden, I start seeing guys losing losing control of a firearm in altercations on the streets. And these are guys that are DT instructors. These are guys that have done some things. These are SWAT guys. And um, <clears throat> it was really an eye-opener for me. So that became a, a big part of my focus. And then I, I took over our, our defensive tactics program. Uh, I, was, I was invited to go to an amazing course. Uh, DOJ put it on. It was for, uh, it's called Police Corps, something that came out through the, the Clinton administration. But I was, I was brought in to be a trainer for this, and it was an invite-only thing. And one of the was very it, was first it on an island in the Caribbean. It should have been. <laughs> no, it was it was just outside of Chicago. So it was it was beautiful as well. Um, but one of the very first drills we ever did, and I mean, we've really not got a baseline on anybody or anything, is they drop a gun in the middle of the mat and they go, Chet, you're up. And then Phil, you're next. Now you, you start, you're on your knees. Each of you, you get two hands on a pistol. And the object of this is you need to control, take the gun away, get control. You need two rounds on target. But because this is an entangled encounter, once you get a round off, and I can't do it smashed into him because I'm going to knock it out of battery. I got to have a little space. I get a round off. But because we're grappling, you're probably going to have a malfunction. So we get a tap rack and a second round on target. And I just thought, yeah, well, I can do this. And we, we went for almost five minutes wrestling as hard as we could over a loose gun. And from that point forward, it completely changed my thought process. It yeah. was just like, uh, worst thing I've ever done ever in my life. I never want to go through that drill again. <clears throat> but it was one of those things that, that I went back and started really pressing that that we have to change our our drawn gun retention our holstered gun defense all of it we have to we've we've got to really address this problem and and i think we've got amazing stuff uh at, at my old agency now i think it's as good as anything that's in the country you know the, it uh, took a lot of development on that so you know, the uh, the structure of a police officer's holster, uh, level two, level three retentions, level 20 retentions, whatever they have, they're made to be drawn a certain way. So if you reach forward and grab somebody's gun, it won't come to you, right? It's locked in that way. Well, I've seen videos of guys in prison who are practicing locking up, doing a duck under, and now they're on the same side as the officer with their right hand on the gun. Wow. You know, uh, it's criminals murderers practice this crap mm -hmm. and it's extremely important that uh, our officers have to be out there and be prepared for that never give up the underhook yeah. that's right well you know we've, we've talked about how how we do our training um you know there's there's tons of people that go to the range all the time very frequently and they stand there uh, static and you know, you can't go from the holster because it's against range rules. 
and you can't shoot more than one round per second because it's against range rules and and all of the little safeguards that are in there and, and it's for the protection of the range <clears throat> um but even having the ability to come out to our range and as long, long as you're operating under the 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 primary safety rules of of handguns or, or firearms in general uh run it run it however you want press it get put your foot on the gas but just because I can run a gun fast doesn't mean when when I'm involved in a in a position that that I have to defend myself or somebody else, I'm not running that gun as fast as I possibly can. That's that's a test. That's a it's just a stressor to make me better at the skills. Um, it's just like you were talking about. You know, I'm not going to a to a cover and and. Uh, you know, vertical or, or horizontal elbow and, and, you know, clearing a garment and going to a gun and just because I feel threatened. I mean, all of these other things have to be in place. A legal, really legal self-defense uh, by law, it, the verbiage may change just a little bit, but it's really one of the few things that's very uniform across the country. It is. Uh, it, it really, really is. They they may change some of the wording, but there there's nothing else that's uh, <clears throat> that that you know you you can go for driving things or you know burglaries, you know property crimes or persons <laughs> crimes. Whatever. Those 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 are remarkably different throughout the country, but self defense is really a very narrow lane yeah. and you have to stay in your lane. So yeah. <clears throat> there was a there was a situation I was at a store two nights ago. And it was it was at night and on the on the front doorstep this guy decided to hold up and get out of the rain with a machete on their doorstep. And I said to the you know I'm inside and I said to the uh, owner I said just just call the cops. Don't go out there. I'm not going to go out there, right? As a, as a private citizen, even though I'm armed, I have no, I have no explanation as to why I got involved in this situation, right? So I made the call, and the officers came, and of course the guy has 16 warrants, and he's out on bail again, and you know it's just the, the craziness that happens in an insane society. But you have to have the realization as to when can you get involved, when not. There there wasn't any imminent threat of, of severe bodily harm or death. You know, hey, there's a guy with a machete on the other side of a locked door. Well, as long as that door stays locked, we're good. He comes in here, we'll have another conversation, but don't unlock the door. That's right. You know, don't create a problem. Don't leave a trail of breadcrumbs to the, to the eventual deal. So, you know, I just thought like, well, and, and I looked at the owner of the store, I said, you're going to let him stay there? You you have women in and out of this store. You're going to let the guy in. He goes, well, I don't want to cause problems. Like that guy's causing problems. You know, the cops are here. Hopefully they'll bring a dog or a taser, you know, send him down the road. Anyway, he did get taken. Well, I think one of the things that have contributed to that problem that you mentioned of, you know, people wanting to go and get involved is this idea of citizens arrest in this country. And that's something, you know, look, everyone has their own opinion. I'm not a huge fan of the idea of citizens arrest. Uh, I think it creates more problems than it solves. Uh, 
Um, also, that's a, I mean, you want to talk about something that is fairly state specific. That's a very state specific statute. If you have a citizen's arrest statute at all, there are very specific things that you can arrest for um, and the manner in which you do it. I would never, ever want to have to uh, rely on my utilization of a citizen's arrest statute to justify some sort of action that I took. Uh, yeah. So I'm just, and so that's kind of a soapbox of mine. Look, I don't make the law. If, you know, if, if, if the legislator sees fit to, to have a citizen's arrest statute and, and someone wants to agree with that and support that, that's fine. I'm not here to tell them their opinion is wrong. My, but my opinion is I just see this creating more problems than it solves. And I think just like you said, in that situation, a, uh, a lesser person would have said, oh, I'm going to go, I've got a gun. I'm going to go out there and make a citizen's arrest for brandishing a brandishing a machete or whatever. But you know, your, your course of action, yeah. yeah, your course of action was the wiser, more level-headed approach. And it, and it avoids, you know, like you said, having to justify, well, why the heck are you getting involved in this? Yeah. Well, I have a lot of gray hair. You don't, you have to earn them, you know, <laughs> you have to live through a lot of stupid situations to get this many gray hairs. <clears throat> So what, uh, I know you do your combative stuff uh, and you have recently moved. Is that correct? Have you relocated yet? Yes. So we relocated to, uh, to Dallas. My wife is doing a, uh, a medical fellowship there, uh, but we're going to be moving into uh, Greenville, South Carolina next year. And so I will okay. be, um, I'll be joining a, a private defense firm there and running the Greenville office. We'll be covering uh, Spartanburg and Greenville County. Nice. Have you, have you had some uh, use of force cases or anything like that yet? Um, on the, you mean as a prosecutor or a defense attorney? Either way. Both. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, for sure. A um, lot of, a lot of them as a defense attorney. Um, I mean, I, you do a lot as a, as a prosecutor also. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, I've tried several, uh, battery, aggravated battery, uh, utilized a lot of um, defensive consent, which is a, a an un, un, I shouldn't say unknown, but it's a defense that doesn't come up very often. Um, but it's essentially where you can argue, look, the victim consented to this contact based on their conduct. And I remember I had one jury trial where my, it was at a gas station, my client held this girl by her hair, pulled her, or grabbed her by her head, slammed her head against the car, was, and they were just beat, beating each other, you know, like white trash girl fight, you know, like cops uh, episode, you know, something you would expect to see at a, at a Waffle House or something, you know, something, something crazy. And this was all on video. I mean, so there, there was no getting around it. But my whole argument was, look, this the victim followed my client because they had beef followed her into the parking lot, got out of the car, got up, walked to her car to confront her. Um, my argument was she wanted to fight and, and, and that's what she wanted to happen. She didn't like how the fight went. She didn't like the outcome of the fight, but she consented to the touching. She consented to, and you know, came back not guilty. Um, now they could have come back not guilty for another reason, but that was really the only viable defense that I put up. Uh, so yeah, but that, that's just kind of a, a funny story, um, of that, but yeah, I mean, those 
countless uh, stories like that. So, and when you when you put that on combatives lawyer on YouTube, your uh, hit rate went up, right? Right. That fight. <laughs> I wish I could have live streamed it. That would have been great. <laughs> oh. that, that's one of those things that <clears throat> you you don't really understand until you're until you're looking at it from the outside in. <clears throat> um, you know, we Phil and I have discussed this many, many times about humans are very emotional creatures. We we respond emotionally. I was an investigator. I still my initial feel is feelings. It's it's yeah. an emotion. Oh my gosh. Um as as an investigator, though, I really have to take a step back, be completely subjective, um, be open to, to everything that's going on. I can't just go, well, I know Phil and he says this. Um, it's 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 got to be something with substance. So uh, if, if I'm consulted on a case, it, and it was one of the things that... <clears throat> The first time I, I handled a self-defense case for the defense, it was in federal court. Mm. And I don't know if you know what the what the win ratio is in federal court yet, but very low, very, very low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, they just almost don't go to court if if there's any chance of losing. Um, so we won the case. And, and very rightly so. Um, but the numbers of requests I had to look at cases after that just went through the roof, law enforcement cases. Mm. <clears throat> and, you know, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to hem me up on this or they're trying to, and I would, I would go ahead and agree to look at the, the stuff. And all of a sudden it was like, oh dear God, you, yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> You you can't do this, and it, it was so overwhelming that I had to I had to really elevate a price for just the consultation, just to weed that out. Yeah, and and we'll typically waive a consult fee if it's really a case. Um, but the the guys that were out there begging and pleading for for help on something where they just screwed up. I can't help you, dude. I it took way too much effort, way too many bumps and bruises, and to to get to the point to be certified in a federal court as an expert. That's right. I'm never gonna screw that up. Never. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, I think it's I think it's very important for a lot of people that think, well, if you do this, I'll do this. I need you to understand that. When I'm consulted, the very first thing I, I want to look at is, was there an out? At any point in time, was there a way out of this? Mm -hmm. And why didn't we take that? Because, uh, you know, our, our COO, uh, Stan, has, he, he always says this, Phil and I have said this many times, you know, handle this situation like you would if you didn't have a firearm. That's good. You know, how many people insert themselves? Of course, of course Stan can bench press Volkswagen, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's got the skill set that goes with yes. all the rest. 
too. So he's he's a little bit on the dangerous side, but it, it's it's why Phil and I keep him so so close in our friends. Dear circle. friend at all times. <laughs> um yeah, it's 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 good stuff. Uh but yeah, I mean always always be mindful. You know, Phil's talking about the the guy with the machete at the convenience store. Well, I, you know, I didn't I didn't bring that. It ended up see I didn't see the thing I was told about it. It ended up being a wooden stake. Oh. Right? So somebody says machete, he calls in machete. Here's a guy with a wooden stake. He still was a a multiple felon, but you know, and they knew who he was. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, you took Vampire Slayer off the streets. Everyday, everyday drama in California. We have free range felons. They're out there doing their thing. Free range. <laughs> but you could imagine if you went and, and inserted yourself into that situation, guns Nightmare. drawn. Nightmare. Then from his standpoint, he might be thinking this guy's trying to rough because he he yeah. doesn't have a machete. He he has a wooden stick. He doesn't, you know. And so then he escalates with maybe a, a knife or a gun that he does have. And now all of a sudden you're in the shootout and, and come to find out you just drew your gun on a guy with a wooden stick. Yeah. Yeah. You are the cause of this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think, you know, I've been blessed to be able to do this. We've been this a long time now, Rob, but I've been blessed to have these conversations more and more and more. So it, it's second nature. You just look at a situation like, nope, this is a no go. You know, there's just, there's danger down that road. Nothing good's going to come out of that. 911's right here. The door's locked. Um, you know, again, like I said, he's a multiple felon, but he's obviously unstable. Why is he unstable? Well, I said, it's a door owner. I said, this guy's mentally unstable. He goes, how do you know? I said, he's sleeping on your doorstep in the rain. There are shelters. If he wasn't mentally, if he was mentally stable, he wouldn't be in the rain doing these stupid things, you know, just, you know. Well, and the, you know, it's another thing that when you, when you're weighing those things, the the sheer volume of mental illness in that homeless community is through the roof. It's it is strangely enough, it happens to directly coincide with the level of drug use in that. Uh, you know, don't don't tell me, well, these poor guys just got a little bit psycho. They're they've rotted their brains with drugs. Period. It happens. It does. Yeah. <clears throat> Chet, tell everybody how to how to see your stuff. Um, I'm subscribed, and uh, I think you're putting good information out there for folks. So well, thank you. Yes, yeah, uh, the Combative Lawyer on YouTube. Uh, I haven't really crossed over into any other platforms. I'm just kind of trying to uh, learn how to use YouTube. Uh, it's 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 very rough right now. Like I'm, it's it's a very new channel. I'm I'm trying to get my bearings, and so. I'm focusing on content, but I am also trying to, you know, learn how to make better audio and, and, and light and, and all that kind of stuff. So I definitely appreciate people bearing with me in the early stages as I'm kind of trying to clean things up or whatever. But uh, my goal is going to be to try to make, you know, maybe three to four uh, videos a week. I try to always keep it less than seven or eight minutes long. Um, and yeah, so that's that's about it. I thought all I thought all lawyers were combative. <laughs> The, the guy that I was talking to that kind of helped me came up with the name. He said, this is kind of cool because it sort of has a double entendre. I mean, you're the combatives lawyer, but you're also a combative lawyer. So I was like, you know what? There's some people that would tend to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, what do you got coming up, buddy? Well, as, as I said, next 
They kind of freeze up there. Yeah, he froze. <clears throat> Following suit. Oh, yeah. Well, I have got a uh, shot show coming up here in another week and a half. Oh, nice. And we've got, what, what else? We've got a uh, trip down to Florida. We, we go to the annual business meeting for NYPD's Retired Sergeants Association. They have a huge, huge uh, membership group that are CCW safe guys. Nice. So we, we try to go down there and, and take care of them as well. So um, we've got, goodness, you know, JJ Ricasa is one of, one of our uh, brand ambassadors. So I will be with JJ uh, at SHOT Show. Um, also looking for other folks and it'll be my first trip out there. So I've never been, I'm pretty excited about that. Very cool. <clears throat> and then I've heard from several people that once you've been, once you've, you've seen it. So, <laughs> uh, but we, uh, we stay pretty active in the circuit and we also stay pretty active. We're blessed enough that our company still lets us, train and and do things and go out and so i'm trying to set my schedule for this year as well that's awesome so are you going to TechCon by any chance i'll present this year yeah sure, when, sure okay when. that's um if it's the conference that i'm thinking of it's only about 12 15 minutes from my house i, I don't think i'll be able to go but uh you know if you got some free time to hit me up maybe we could grab some coffee or something the you know I'd if you have time. Yeah, sure will. Yeah. Sure will. Well, Chet, thank you so much for, for hopping on with us. Um, stay in touch. I will, I will reach out to you in March for sure. Great. No, thanks yeah. so much. And I really appreciate being on the, on the show. Just an absolute honor. I, like I said, I really like what you guys are doing. Thank you, sir. So we want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, as always, if you have any gripes, complaints, suggestions, attaboys, anything, you can reach me directly at Rob, R-O-B, at ccwsafe.com. And we will look forward to seeing everybody next week. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.